Ashley's going to lead us in our scripture text today for the sermon. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So just uh, some background into this text. Uh, The last couple weeks we've been talking about Stephen and the faith that he had and how Stephen really started out as just a follower, a disciple, uh, trying to follow the example of the 12 disciples, the 12 disciples that were with Jesus, save one, who was uh, the replacement for Judas. So Stephen is just doing what he feels he needs to do. Whoa. (laughs) Pretty loud. Uh, Stephen is just doing what he feels he needs to do. And uh, when there's a great need within the church to care for the widows, he steps forward and says, I'll do it. And is elected to to step into that task. And the, the work is delegated to him because the 12, the disciples, wanted to make sure that they did not neglect the word, and prayer. And they said, basically saying, I can't do it all. Can't do it all, right? So Stephen is just all, all of a sudden is propelled into the spotlight and is doing great, great deeds of power in the name of Jesus. And he's telling people about Jesus, we assume, as he's helping people out and doing these incredible things. And it gets the attention of religious leaders. And they say, what are you doing? Why are you talking about this Jesus guy? And they confront him, and he's not afraid, and they can see the wisdom, they can hear the wisdom, they can feel the, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit within him. And the only thing that they can do is to try and intimidate him and lie and be decept, deceptful, deceitful. Thank you, Deb. <laughs> Long week after VBS, you know. <laughs> That's all they can do. And then so finally they say, well, we're going to intimidate him even more. And they bring him in front of all the religious leaders and they start to question him. And this is where our text picks up today. And you notice uh, I skipped something in between, but let me read this to you again. So Stephen is standing in front of the religious leaders. And this is what the high priest asked him. Are these things so? Have you been doing this work in the name of Jesus Christ? Are you proclaiming this one that, remember, the religious leaders uh, killed because they said this is blasphemy that he's doing. So Stephen uh, says, he says, uh, brothers and fathers, listen to me. So first of all, notice that Stephen comes with kind of a sense of camaraderie. Brothers and fathers, to the people who are putting him on trial, this is how he begins his speech. And there's a long speech that I left out. It's very detailed. Stephen is, is um, 
presenting to the religious leaders, the ones who were trying him uh, for presumably wanting to continue in Jesus' work of destroying the temple and doing all these things in, in a, a great deed and power in Jesus' name, this speech was important because Stephen was establishing credibility as a Jewish person who knew what he was talking about. He knew it. They'd already noticed that he was a glow, that he had a glow about him, that he had the face of an angel. And all, that, all of that led him to being rewarded with those accusations and needing to defend himself. But this speech would recall key points throughout the history of God's people. He mentions Abraham and what God had done in the life of Abraham and through Abraham. He mentions Joseph and Moses, all providing a witness to the actions and character of God. Stephen is saying, look, I know this God that you know. I know this God. I know what God has done in the past. I know God's character. I know what God is like. Oh, this speech was really important because Stephen was describing the mission and the movement of God throughout time and how Jesus was the most important part of this movement of God and now the Holy Spirit living within Stephen himself. This speech would connect the character of God from the past with the action of God now. And because of Stephen's knowing the story, God's story, he was able to move on to an accusation, a rebuke, a judgment, harsh words really, which are evidence that he could even do that, that he did indeed have the Holy Spirit within him. Within him. Because can you imagine the courage that it must have taken for Stephen to move from brothers and fathers and telling this detailed narrative of the history of God's people to a rebuke, to pointing the finger at them, knowing that he could be killed, which is indeed what happened to Stephen. Oh friends, that takes great courage to speak God's truth to a group of people who don't necessarily want to hear it. Evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit within him. So I left this part out intentionally because so often this is what we do in the culture today we move from acts of service or good deeds or good character to accusation we make that movement from we're living the life that we think god wants us to live to you're not living the life that god wants you to live we leave that other part out we move to accusation to a rebuke to a judgment And very few people, very few of God's people are called to do those things. Very very small percentage of God's people are called to actually accuse anyone of anything or pronounce any sort of judgment. That's what they call prophets. Right? Those are the ones. And Jesus was a prophet. And there are prophets who are sent by God to speak hard truth to God's people into the culture at large. But very few people are called to do this work. So we don't go around pronouncing judgment or making accusations. We don't do that. We don't have a stage like Stephen did. But we pronounce judgment, an indirect kind of judgment, when we don't share our faith. Because we say these people are not worthy or this gospel truth is, is not true. True enough to share with somebody else. 
we pronounce some kind of judgment when we don't tell people the hope that Jesus offers. When we don't know the story ourselves. When we leave that part out. We pronounce indirect judgment when we might gossip or talk about other people behind their back. Rather than speak truth and love, which is definitely what God calls us to do, we say, nah, it's easier to leave that part out. We skip the knowing of the story and move to judgment, sometimes even of ourselves. The first and most important thing that we must be committed to is knowing His story, God's story, so that we can know what has God done in the past. We have to know this, friends. We must, as God's people, what has God done in the past? We must know what is God like? What is this God like? If somebody came up to you today and asked you, what is God like? You spend a lot of time in church. Michael, what is God like? I'm not asking you to say now, but what would you say? See, we must be able to say these things. And that's hard for me to tell people who have been Christians longer than I've been alive. But we must. We must listen to what Jesus says. Here, this is when Jesus appears to his disciples and they come together and uh, the disciples ask him, Lord, is this not the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? This is the time, right? Your kingdom come. And he replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has sent by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you like Stephen. And you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What is God like? What has God done in the past? That's the most important task that we can be committed to as Christians, is making sure that we know God's story. The second most important thing we must know is where God's story collides with our story. Where does God's story collide with our story? This is called the testimony. This is a witness, like Jesus says. I know the things about God are true because this is what He's done in my life. Look at the way I live. Sense the Holy Spirit within me. In these words I speak to you, I believe that they're informed by God about what God says about the world. This is a testimony. A witness of being able to recount this is what God has done in my life. So this is hard. I know this is really hard for people because not everybody's had like some kind of dramatic, transformational story that you feel is inspirational to others. But you don't have to. Basically, a great way to work on your testimony is to, uh, and to know God's story is just to journal slowly, write down or think about. Helps to write down because you might forget. Think about key moments of your faith development. Maybe it starts in vacation Bible school when you were a child. And you say, I really sensed the presence of God during that time and it really made me believe in what we do in church. Maybe it's uh, some breakthrough along the way or a time when God comforted you when you were in great distress and pain. Maybe it was some truth that God imparted to you at just an opportune time and you said, that had to have been from the Holy Spirit because I don't know how else I would have received that truth in that time and that way. 
just write those things down. Track the movement of God within your own life and think about, how would I tell this to somebody if they asked me the simple question, what is God like? You say, well, you know, I'm really not sure. You say, well, why do you believe in Him? Why do you believe it's true? We should have an answer to that question. Like a 30-second answer. A simple answer. Even if it's just, I know because I've sensed His love for me. That's a testimony. That's a witness. So the second thing we can do, first is to journal or write out what God has done in your life, key moments in your life, to come up with a testimony. The second thing is to read the Bible. To know the story. To know God's character. To know what God has done. To read it on your own and read it together like we do in our men's group now. Tuesday mornings, 5.30 a.m. For you early risers out there. I was not excited about the time. (laughs) But I'm telling you, friends, it's powerful. When we read God's Word on our own, and together when we sense, oh, this is what God has done in the past. Oh, and that's just so crazy how that connects with what I'm experiencing right now, here and now. The only way to explain that is the movement of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way. So if you know God's story and you know your testimony, you will continue to meet Jesus afresh in your life. Like what was about to happen to Stephen. Now, what Stephen was about to encounter is something that I don't think any of us will ever have to experience here in the United States. He was stoned to death. But he met Jesus in a new way within that suffering. He was faithful right up to the end, and that's what we're going to talk about next week. But friends, hear this. If you stay close to God, you'll discover that God does indeed stay close to you. People will see the Holy Spirit within you. They'll be drawn in. Jesus uses the word, compel them. Let them be drawn in to me. Not not to you, Garnan, but to Jesus within you. To see, to sense, to hear Jesus coming out of you. To be drawn into it like like a screen, like we talked about last week. This especially happens when you serve. When you do things for others, especially in situations where you might feel uncomfortable or when it's required of you, like for confirmation. And Michael, (laughs) you're meditating, I can tell. (laughs) We might get an opportunity to share our testimony or that service itself might become our testimony. That's part of my experience over the last six months in these recovery groups that I've been a part of, studying and now participating in. I met God afresh discovering things about my past and about my current reality that only the Holy Spirit could have orchestrated. There's no other way of explaining it. More on that later. (laughs) So my mentor in the faith, he uh, focused on all these different actions and modeled them to me and explained them to me. He knew God's story. He told me, I've read the Bible five or six times all the way through at least. And he has a strategy of doing that that he shared with me that I now implement for myself. And at the time I thought, well, that's a lot. I started in Proverbs, simple. You know, just read a little bit at at a time. But my mentor, he knew God's story and he knew his testimony. He shared it with me. He said, this is what God is like because this is how I've experienced God in my life. And I was drawn towards my mentor as I stepped into that church basically as an unbeliever. 
in 2008, 2007 actually. I was not a church person. I at that time actually barely considered myself a Christian. But I was hoping that maybe I would meet some nice people in the church. And my mentor walked right up to me and shook my hand, said, I'm so glad you're here. And he gave me his card that said, Disciples in Action on it. And later he invited me to lunch. And he invited me over to his house for dinner. And it changed my life. That's what changed my life. I could not tell you one bit at all what the sermon was about that day. Actually, I didn't really like the preacher. He was a great friend of mine. His preaching is not for me. No offense if he's watching. <laughs> but I'm telling you, friends, that's how people know that God is real from the Holy Spirit coming through you. In times when you make yourself uncomfortable, in times when you get an opportunity to share who God is and what God has done in your life, and that's exactly what happened with my mentor. I got to know him primarily through serving. The church at that time was involved in uh, what they called angel food ministry. We would drive an hour to a neighboring town, pick up discounted food, and bring it back to our community and distribute to people who were in need. And so we spent the entire morning together from, again, not my, not my favorite, 6 a.m. <laughs> until like 11 o'clock. And then oftentimes he would invite me out to lunch afterwards. So we spent a lot of time together for sure once a month. And on those long drives to Hastings, that long hour of time together, we had deep conversations where I would ask him, well, what about this? Well, why hasn't God healed my family? Well, why isn't God working in my best friend who is so important to me? I mean, all the things, and I just worked through it, and he just told me what he knew about God from the Bible, but also from his lived experience. And I could tell over and over again, that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's what kept me coming back more than anything. What's important to understand is my friend did not accuse me or judge me or shame me, and I could tell he did not go and talk to me with other church, talk about me to other church people or anything like that. Had he done that, I probably would have picked up on it and I would have left. Because I did enough judging and shaming and guilting of myself, I didn't need anybody else to do that for me. What my friend did instead was he introduced me to Jesus. He said, this is, this is who God is. And He can change your life. And in fact, friends, He did. And continues to over and over and over again as I meet Jesus afresh. He let, the, he let Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God's Word be the one who would convict me of the areas that I needed to change. That's what God's Word does. It tells us who God is and how we can change to be more in line with what it means to be the people of God. Friends, we live in an era, it's obvious, isn't it? We live in an era of accusation, of judgment, of ridicule, of gossip, that is not God's people. Don't be seduced. Focus on what you can control. Don't skip the most important parts as we've discussed today. Let go of what you can't control. Focus on what you can. Abide with Christ. Draw close to Him. Know His story intimately. 
know your story even more detailed and intimately. This is how God has acted in my life. Serve with love and grace of the Holy Spirit radiating from you. And you will meet Jesus continually anew. Amen.